Well, good morning. Y'all get uh, the country boy fill in this morning. Um, everybody heading back to Ryan's wedding, Montana and all. And uh, whatever else may be. So we'll kind of muddy our way in through things. Um, let's see here. This week... Um, there's no evening assembly tonight, um, with everybody being gone. Uh, Wednesday, I'm not sure, are we still on for Wednesday evening assembly? As of right now, As of right now at the Kirkpatrick's, correct? Okay, at, uh, 6.30 p.m. Um, looks like Thursday Ladies Study is still on. I haven't heard otherwise. Um... Upcoming events, the Pumpkin Spice Bazaar and on October 28th, uh, Oregon Family Camp, uh, February 23rd through the 25th. Um, it just amazes me. I don't know. Time seems to fly sometimes. Uh, more and more, it just gets quicker and quicker. It's like uh, last year I was wondering about hunting season and everything and what the joints are going on and I was putting in for point savers instead of doing the thing and all of a sudden then hunting season's here you know it's like whoa um, I got to go out yesterday uh, after uh, yesterday uh, in the morning took up and met up with Holton Halstead and we got up uh, and uh, so haven't had much time to hunt but amazingly enough we got up there and Cascades there's not much elk anymore it doesn't seem to be but we actually had two close encounters with two big bulls at different times during the day. And uh, I think his arrow about fell off <laughs> as he drew back on this bull. But uh, he'd never been that close to a bull. And it just blew me away how God's creation, when we first spotted that bull about 20 yards there, he wasn't talking. We found out he'd been rubbing. There's a rub on a tree that's probably a foot and a half in diameter. And we hadn't heard that. We'd heard some breaking in. It's like, you can't tell whether they're squirrels or what's going on. And, but he didn't talk at all. And then he came in and I was like, somebody's quarter horse got loose up here in the mountains. <laughs> that thing was the, about the biggest body Roosevelt elk I have ever seen. Um, and then I thought it was a decoy. It just looked way too big. I was like, somebody, pack this weird decoy in here and then it's dawning on me because its head's starting to bob a little bit as he's trying to look and figure out what we are and I'm like oh so anyway that was a great blessing uh, yesterday um, I don't see any birthdays on the list today we do have a word of encouragement um, to Melissa, and I would say to her, uh, her husband, says, we know it's a lot to bring the kids and keep the corralled and entertained chitlins, right? Well, I, I put, I kind of added a little piece there, but, uh, you know, sometimes it's hard to bring little kiddos, and it's like, you think everybody's eyes are on you, you know, and uh, when you got a bunch of them, and it's challenging, then it's like, the frustration levels it's like trying to keep them quiet and then your blood pressure goes up and then the kids feed off of you and that's just so anyway it's like hey we know it's a lot and uh, you are doing an incredible job we love you uh, and TJ on are always willing to help if you need it 
So, and you know, I think that's an example to keep when, you know, there are challenges uh, like that. You know, Eric was talking about, okay, the little light. And by the way, that light came on this morning as we were driving here. And I'm like, oh no, am I, are we getting to flat? And then my wife says, well, that thing's kind of been coming on lately. And I said, well, remind me later on and I'll just check just to make sure because we might be right at that balance of pressure or the sensor might be going out. But you know what's weird is little things bother some people and other people it doesn't. It's like flying. It's not the flying itself. I'm not scared to fly. It's just, I can't stand to go through all that searching and all that other wackiness. It's like, oh my goodness, that to me. And scheduling. It's like, I'd rather if I have to fly and my wife schedules something, I'm like, I'm okay with these long layovers. I don't like the thing where I'm trying to run to catch something. Because I stress over it. Other people... It's like you see him and it's like it's no big deal. Me, it's a big deal. <laughs> so anyway, aside from that, um, are there any other announcements or anything that we haven't? Our, our anniversary is too. Oh, your an their anniversary. Yeah. See, he loves you. He wants you to know, Miriam, how much he loves you. That's awesome. You know, especially with marriages this day and age. Um, you know, it's... Uh, it's a struggle, and especially the more and more and more that Satan throws in with our political environment for marriages and for families, you know, to make those uh, hard choices and stuff because the world wants you to go, hey, uh, we got all this stuff going on on Sunday. It's more important, uh, you know, so congratulations to you guys. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so. Excuse me. September potluck is next Sunday. September potluck is next Sunday. All right. At the Kirkpatrick's. Okay. It's in the evening, correct? 5.30. 5.30 next Sunday at the Kirkpatrick's. All right. So since you're getting the country boy twice, because uh, you'll have me this week and then next week because Bill is gone. And uh, I got to thinking about it a little bit later. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have done a two-parter because I, I always hate that. You know, it's like the you watch one show there and, and I don't watch much. But it's like, you sit there and you watch it and all of a sudden, to be continued. I'm like, what? Ah. Yeah. Now I, and then I know I'm not going to watch it, you know, later on. So um, I apologize ahead of time to anybody. But we are going to have kind of a two-part sort of lesson. But they are in and of themselves lessons. Um, it's an offshoot of the lesson that I had given up for um, the Men's Peaks thing. Um, and that probably should have been split into in and of itself, maybe four. So, uh, sometimes I go on and on, but it's hard for me because uh, I like lessons. It's like, uh, me personally, I don't have a lot of confidence in myself, but when I read a whole bunch of God's word, I know God's word is true. And it's like, all right. And so I encourage you, if you don't follow me very well, pick a little piece out. You know, if there's one scripture that stands out to you, then great. Be encouraged by it. <clears throat> so the le the title I had for the lesson up there was, uh, and Bill had given it to me, so I kind of used the title to go off of, and it, it was Jesus, the man with an iron will. But I'm kind of changing that a little bit. Jesus, the man, is going to be our first part this week. And we're going to go and show how Jesus truly was a man. <clears throat> 
How, how is it that he's God, the Son of God, and that he came as a man? What I, I don't get that. Hopefully, we'll, we'll kind of help with that today through the scriptures. Add a little light to that. And it's going to be the man, the example. We're going to see a little bit of what Jesus did. Uh, we're not going to get to the why and the what till next week. What was the motivator behind God and God's will? Because we're going to speak just briefly on that will. Um, whose will is it? And, and everything, but getting down to the nitty gritty, because in ours, you guys know that I always encourage you, ask the hard questions. Why? And I was like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? You ever ask, well, why did God set it up this way? But get, answer the questions. You know, I don't always have the answers, but let's search them out in the scriptures. Let's, let's get that. Let's not uh, go willy nilly shooting from the hip. Uh, Scott had a passage this morning when he was talking about truth in Psalms uh, where it says the sum of God's worth, word is truth. So we don't just take one little scripture and then build off of. Now, sometimes we can use that and other principles, and you'll see me sometimes use that, and I use God's guiding principles. It's not necessarily the context of the passage, but the principle itself. So this morning, I want to start into um, Jesus the man, the example, and we'll talk a little bit about his will, and then we'll kind of wrap that up uh, with a, an example of Jesus's life and what he did. And then that will uh, set the stage for next week of why did he do that? Um, because the motivator behind. And then I want to encourage you as we're going through this morning and seeing Jesus the man, I want to see, have you question yourself as you go through things in life. Because it's not just a check in the box. Oh, I went to church today. Or, oh, I'm a good person. No, it's a relationship with God. And then why do we do what we do? Why do you come here on Sundays? Why do you try to be good? Why do you sacrifice for others? Because really, that's the heart of the matter. It's the things behind. And so, sorry for the two-part and the to be continued next week. Uh, but hopefully, it'll tease you a little bit to come back if you're okay with the country boy preacher. Um, <laughs> anyway, so let's get started. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. It says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. So again, kind of the motivator, the thing behind. Hint, hint for next week a little bit. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Is that the world's attitude? <laughs> no. No, and you know, and to be, I don't know about you guys, speaking just for myself, it's like, I think that's something that we always struggle with. And we're going to see in Jesus's example, it's a struggle for him too. He had to go through like everything like us is, you know what? 
I don't know about you, but I got all sorts of things coming in. And some of them seem important, at least at the moment. You know, a family, um, even though I'm retired, I have other job things and responsibilities. And so sometimes it's like, I, I got to do this. I don't have time for you. I doubt any of you have that sort of thing. No, I want to go do this. I want to go hunt. I want to, no, I don't want to take the day to come help you. If we're honest with ourselves, really? It's like, yeah, okay, I want to do this. But no, what do you do? You lay that aside. So it says, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of interest of others. So it doesn't mean you, you don't look out for your interests because there are responsibilities or have. There's things that you want to do. Um, but really, what's the attitude? What's that which is behind? Because it says in verse five, have this attitude in yourselves. It's the attitude of what? Looking out for other people's interest. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, in the New American Standard, it says grasp. I've got a, they got a side note that it says it was supposed to be interpreted, utilized or asserted, and then verse 7, but emptied himself, and that emptied is supposed to be um, translated, laid aside his privileges. I think that's for me is really important as I grasp Jesus's attitude. And then as we look into Jesus, the man, it makes more sense to me. Because it says here, Jesus and his attitude, he didn't regard a thing, an equality, a thing with God, his father, a thing to be grasped, or it should be utilized or asserted. But he emptied himself. He laid aside his privileges. And in just a moment, I'm going to show you one of those privileges that God has that Jesus laid aside. He was in glory. He laid aside that privilege. He did not assert his authority, God's authority. And what did he do? He laid those things aside. And what did he do? He emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, I'd mentioned in the Lord's Supper meditation about striving against sin. You know, he's like, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. He doesn't want you to grow weary and lose heart. He says, for you have not yet shed your blood in your striving against sin. Jesus had to strive against sin. One of the privileges, he laid that aside. He had to strive, and what did he do? All the way to the point of death, death on a cross. It wasn't just one day. It was each and every day he strove. And we're going to refer back uh, quite a bit to Philippians as I'm talking about these other uh, passages. Let's go to Acts 2.22, just real quick. Again, establishing that Jesus was a man. Yeah, he's the son of God, 
But again, he laid aside that privilege. He's a man. And Jesus, or uh, Peter's preaching the first gospel message, so to speak, here to the Jews. <clears throat> 2.22 and 23. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man. Sometimes we kind of just read over that and kind of skip that part there. You know, you're not even thinking about it. But I want, it's important. The Holy Spirit, through the writer of Acts, wrote these things. This is God speaking. Jesus the Nazarene, a man, attested you to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs. You know, God's saying, okay, I'm proving that this is my son, but he's a man. In him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by uh, the hands of godless men and put him to death. The man. Jesus. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 2. And you know, we've been talking about the fear of God, or Bill has this uh, this year, that fear, the, the awe, not the, oh, trembling sort of stuff so much, but the awe. And as we look at Jesus, the man, it's like, I, I stand in awe. It's just amazing. The man, just like us, and his striving and what he did. And he set his face like flint to accomplish. Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Therefore, since the children, us, share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise also partook of the same, flesh and blood. And through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. If we had more time, we would take a look at what Jesus had to overcome because if he failed, none of us would have any hope. The man going through and striving, boy, life eternal hung in the balance. But he had to, just like us, partake of flesh and blood. It says, For assuredly he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be, he had to be made like his brethren, us, in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make propitiation or the satisfaction for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted and that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid who those who those those who are tempted. So I want to show something here, and it's important as we go to the next passages. Jesus was tempted. Okay? So let's now go to Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter 4, 15 and 16. And let's start in verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Okay, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was tempted, yet without sin. Jesus was tempted as a man, yet without sin. Just like you and I, tempted in what? All things. And this was kind of blew me away, and we're not going to go there, but Matthew and a couple of the other Gospels talk about Jesus being carried away and tempted by the devil. And it said 40 days. And one of them, I think Mark said, tempted all those 40 days. And another thing, it was like uh, he got hungry after fasting, and then he was tempted. It only showed like three different things. But like in the other ones, it said he was tempted all those, uh, all those days. So it doesn't say what all those temptations were. Tempted in all things. So for me, it was like Jesus was set up on the pedestal and Satan showed him all the kings of the earth, said, if you bow down to me, I'll give all this to you. For me, that wouldn't be a temptation. You know what? I, I see that as a headache. I don't want all that wackiness. Good gravy. No, I'll just have my farm over here. I'm okay with it. That's not a temptation for me. But the thing is, is for others who like power and authority and to possess things, that is a temptation. And the thing is, is Jesus as a man was tempted in all things. All things. So even though that may not be a temptation for me, it might be for you. He was tempted in all the things that you've been tempted in, all the things that I have been tempted in, in all things. Why? Because he had, he had to be, it says in the word. So that he could be a faithful high priest pertaining to the things of God and could be that satisfaction, that propitiation for our sins where we fell short and God's a just God and there is a consequence. Jesus paid the consequence, but he couldn't have unless tempted in all things. But one who has been tempted in all things as we yet without sin, therefore let us draw near with confidence. I talked about that in the Lord's Supper. We, we should have confidence it's because of Jesus and what he did. And talking about that fear, that awe, the respect. It's like, wow, tempted in all things? I don't like temptation. It's not a fun thing. You know, it's like you're really trying and trying and trying and you fall. Flat on your face. Jesus wants you to get back up in the saddle. I have to duct tape yourself onto the saddle a little bit and ride that, that pony out. But you just keep going. But Jesus didn't get bucked off. Man, he rode the ride all the way through the bell. To the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We need to, I want you to understand and be encouraged that Jesus tempted in all things. And because of that, and yet he, he went all the way through, we should have confidence. We, should, we can have that grace and mercy because he did it for us. Now let's jump over to James chapter 1. So we talk about Jesus, the Son of God, being tempted. Now look at here. Somebody might say, this is an oxymoron. Uh, that, the scripture can't be right because what? Here we go. Let's take a look. James 1, 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. 
For God cannot be tempted. The naysayer may say, uh, your Bible's all fouled up, see? It says God can't be tempted, but Jesus is the Son of God, and he, he was tempted in all things. How can that be? God cannot be tempted by evil. Well, what I like about that Philippians passage in chapter 2 and the way it's supposed to be translated, he, that's one of the privileges Jesus laid aside. He was in glory with his Father. Couldn't be tempted by sin, by evil. But he laid aside that privilege. Did not assert his authority as God, the Son of God. He came as a man. Why? Why did you do that? Next week we'll talk about that. But does that just, you think about that, comprehend the one who created us. And as I'd said in the Lord's Supper meditation in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. Other passages says we are enemies of God. We denied him, went off and did our own thing. Yeah, I don't have anything to do with you, God. Yet he still laid aside those privileges, knowing what he was going to face. There was a plan. He and the Father had it all figured out. This is what we got to do. This is the only way. That's pretty mind-blowing to me as you start contemplating and thinking about that. But... Any of you who have children, what would you be willing to do for them? God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. We need to kind of understand a little bit. And uh, one person, when I first talked about this before, and I don't quite completely understand it, but he thought it was blasphemy. He's like, what are you saying Jesus did? Well, take a look. Here's what God describes what temptation. He's describing what this is. He says, but each one is tempted and when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. <gasps> Jesus was tempted. He was carried away and enticed. But I want to stop short of that. There's a point where Jesus, because of his desires was carried away and enticed. That's why when you and I may think, well, I wouldn't want the, all the kingdoms and everything else. That's not a temptation to me. That wouldn't entice me. I, I don't want that. But the thing is, is Jesus' desire, he said he had to be tempted in all things. He did desire that. He was carried away and enticed by God's own definition of what temptation is. That's what blows me away even more so as I see how Jesus struggled striving against sin because the devil's like, hey, come join me. Hey, it's you know what? It's not a really big deal. You know, justification, rationalization, why we're doing what we're doing. It's pretty easy to come up with some of those things. But each one is tempted and carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, 
it gives birth to sin. So there is a point, and I think the devil wants to get us down sometimes, just when all of a sudden we're, we're kind of enticed by something. There's something that we're struggling with. And he wants you to throw in the towel right then and there. Look, give it up. You know what? You've screwed up so many other times before. You see it coming. You're getting it. Uh, hey, looky here. That, that it, you've already fouled up just because you're being enticed. There's a little bit of a desire there. But the scripture also speaks about how the mind works and that the mind and he talks about us thinking and doing things that has become sin. So do I completely understand where this is at? But we're going to talk in a minute where Jesus is telling his disciples, pray that you might not enter into temptation. God understands and knows you don't even want to go there. There's another passage that says, do not give the devil an opportunity. You know, somebody becomes a Christian who was an alcoholic before. Hey, and they're on fire for Jesus. I'm going to go to the bar where all my friends are. Why would you give the devil an opportunity? Don't go there. I've encouraged some of you when we've chatted about things and about confidence that you've, you've shared with me. And my encouragement with you is know your weaknesses. Know what entices you. Know what, and don't go there. Pray about it. God says to his disciples, pray that you might not enter. Because it's a bad place to be. So Jesus was at that crux. And I don't know what that crux is, but I know that he was carried away and enticed. But it didn't get to the next point. It did not get to the next stage. Because we know that the scripture says he was tempted as in all things as we, yet without sin. So it did not give birth. It did not get to that point. So don't get discouraged just because there's enticements. There's things out there. They are going to be there. But continue to strive. Just like it says in the Hebrews passage in 12, fixing your eyes on him. Knowing that you have yet to shed your blood and you're striving against it. Okay? But again, what I really want to establish is Jesus came as a man. He laid aside those privileges. And here he is. And look how close it is. It is a crazy place to be. And we all know it. Because each and every one of you has sinned. Each and every one of us has been enticed. We know how bad of a situation that is. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. None of us would have any hope. There would have been death for sure if Jesus hadn't made it. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. And I think I just quoted this, so I kind of already covered it, but let's just uh, go there. And I know that some of you who recognize the scriptures hear me quoting a few other little slight passages. And uh, for time's sake, it's like I could have come up with a ton. <laughs> it was just like, okay, I got to scale this back a little bit. Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. So here it is again. You know, in the context, he's talking about faith. And he says, therefore, since we have so great a crowd of witnesses surrounding, let us also lay aside every encumbrance. You got to lay those things aside. Jesus laid aside his privileges, but we now 
should lay aside any sort of encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him next week, we're going to be talking about why, why did he do all this? What was the motivator? What are the things that are pushing? Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of God. Why did he endure? Why did he do that? Next week. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He doesn't want you to grow in this crazy, nasty world. He doesn't want you to grow weary and lose heart, throw in the towel or go, I can't do it. No, another passage says, I can do all things, what? Through Christ who strengthens me. You can, you can overcome. God wants you to overcome. And he's like, he doesn't want you to grow weary and lose heart. Stay the course, keep after it. Not get bucked off, keep getting back up in that saddle. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood and your striving against sin. <clears throat> so I want to switch just a moment and spend, and we're just going to look at one passage. Psalms chapter 40. Because it, it's going to set the stage a little bit is we will mention it next week in the why and the what. But it's important to kind of note here because as we close in the next passage afterwards, um, it brings a little bit more to, to the picture. Psalms chapter 40. Verses 7 and 8. It says, Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I, dilute, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I delight to do your will. And we're not going to go there for the sake of time, but if you're taking notes or care, you can go into Hebrews chapter 10, verses 7 and 9 specifically quotes this passage. And it's talking about Jesus. And in uh, not, uh, chapters 9 of Hebrews and chapter 10, he's talking too about the will, the covenant. So there's another will. The will here is the desire. But there's another one that if you look in Hebrews, it says covenant, the new covenant, which he's established in his blood. It talks about justice and there had to be, there has to be shedding of blood. That will is the type of will like, hey, my wife and I, we do up a will because once we pass, and it says it only becomes, starts at the death of the one. So, but the will here is the desire. Jesus came to do the desire of his father. What? Why did Jesus do it? Why do you desire to do his will? We're going to talk about various reasonings next week, why somebody might do something. The motivators. Is it out of fear? Is it out of, oh, hey, I'm a good person. I want to be good. But, you know, there's lots of different motivators. Next week, we're going to talk about that. But we, I want to establish that because it's not just Jesus choosing to lay aside his privileges and different things, but he also desires to do what 
his father wants him to do. So let's close in Matthew 26. And again, I didn't have, uh, for sake of time, we only have a few more minutes, but Isaiah 50 talks about he set his face like flint to carry out the plan, to do his father's will. I mean, that's where when Bill was talking and he gave me that title before for Men's Peaks was Jesus, the man with an iron will. I mean, man, he set his face. I want you to set your face. I want you to see and understand the motivators. And then also, as far as me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. And I'm going to serve him because of this. And why? Which will be next week. But let's take a look at Jesus, the man, and kind of get a picture. Because remember I was talking about the gospel accounts of Jesus carried away out in the wilderness and being tempted by Satan? In Matthew, it says, finally, Jesus kept answering with Scripture. Boom. Back to him with Scripture. Rip. And Satan was using passages. He was using God's word sometimes. So it's like, oh, there's a little bit of truth there. But Jesus also says the sum of the whole. He uses another passage. Yet, well, God says also this. But it says that Satan left for a more opportune time. Some might say, well, that was when Jesus was on the cross. Me, I'm kind of thinking that it was more at this point. Let's go to Matthew chapter 26. And we'll close with this, with a few comments. And sorry, I'm going a little long like normal. Matthew 26. Starting in verse 36. They're in the garden. Now, as you kind of see, they're in the garden, and uh, it's before Jesus is, is caught. Now, when you have something, let's say when the description of what temptation is, carried away and enticed, or you have something you know is coming, it's like, I know I got to fly, ooh, man, that, that's where the anxiety, that's where all the things where it's like, no, you know what, I'm not going to go. You check out because now's the time when you can check out. Now, could Jesus have called 10,000 angels when he was on the cross? Yes, he could have. But where can he bow out when nobody else knows? When the world doesn't know, when nobody knows? Right here. It's quiet. Maybe a few of his friends know that he's like, and they don't quite understand. They didn't grasp the brevity. They were thinking more of a worldly kingdom. Things hadn't been revealed to them quite yet. Even though Jesus said it point blank, I, hey, I'm going to suffer, so on and so forth. That's why I think it's the more opportune time, because when is it the crux for you? When is it where it doesn't become sin or it gives birth to sin and then to death? It's at those points where maybe nobody else is around. Maybe you, only you know what your weakness is. Only you know when you start down that road. That's the time where you get to go, nope, I'm going to do this, or yes, I'm going to follow through. That's why I think this is the time, and you're going to see why. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and two of the sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. You know what? Going through things, have you ever been grieved? Have you ever been distressed? 
Well, not yet to the point of shedding your blood, not to the point of blood coming out of your pores. That's how distressed he was. That's how grieved. He, know that he knew the brevity. He knew that he was a man. It's like, here you are, a man, and knowing that you had left glory and laid aside the privileges, you could at any moment assert your authority as God. Nope, we're not going to do this. Boom, done. No, he didn't. He laid aside that. He's going through all this like you and I, yet without sin. He's grieved and distressed, just like you and I get grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, not as I desire. Well, Jesus had a desire. I don't want to do this. Sometimes there's things we don't want to do. Sometimes it's like, no, I want to do that. You know, hey, there's some people that need some help. Now I want to go hunting. Might come down to something as little as that. It's like, and I made the choice. I do it. Here, no, there's a way lot more that's on the balance. But we see Jesus and it's sincere and genuine. It's like, okay, God, <laughs> Dad, if there's any other way, but not my desire, your desire be done. And he came to his disciples, found them sleeping. And he says, man, you guys, what? You couldn't keep watch with me for one hour? And here it is. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter temptation. Jesus, God knows how bad of a situation that is. They didn't want, you shouldn't even get to that point. You know, do some planning ahead of time. Know your weaknesses. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Be praying so that you don't get to that point. The, the uh, spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time. He says, my father, if this cup cannot pass away unless I drink it, your desire, your will be done. So we know that Jesus had another desire. It was his thing. Carried away and enticed to do something else. But he didn't. He followed through. He said, nope, not my, what you do. But why did Jesus? Next week, we're going to talk about what's the motivator behind it all. And in just a closing conclusion, I truly would like you to really contemplate Jesus the man. It's very important to establish that Jesus did come as a man because otherwise easy peasy day because you're God you have authority you have privileges oh yeah I came down here put on this form but you know what it was an easy day because I was like I'm God son of God now we need to establish and see and that's why that Philippians passage is so important to me is to really see that Jesus he could have, he, but he chose. It was a decision on his part, a choice. You have a choice each and every day. When you get up in the morning, is this day going to be for God or is it going to be for me and what I desire? The little things that you face, 
He doesn't want you to grow weary and lose heart. He does desire you to have and be imitators of him that says, hey, not my will, but your will be done. And if we can take a look at Jesus and see what he did, and then as next week, we're going to see the why, because the why is so important. What is it that motivates? What is it that drives? And it needs to be the right thing that's motivated. It shouldn't be out of the, oh, I'm going to go to hell if I don't come to church on Sundays. I'm going to go to hell if I don't help my brother out today. I'm going to go to hell. Now, we're going to see what the motivator is. So I encourage you to come back next week. Let's take a look at God's word. And go back, check these things out. See if they're so. Check out and look at that thing about temptation that I don't quitely understand, but I know there's a process and it's to a point. Look at God's word and see and be encouraged. Don't grow weary and lose heart, but follow in Jesus' footsteps. Thank you.